Welcome, ghouls, gals, and badass days of the world. I am Cass Clark, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Ryan C. Bradley. Hello. And today, we have a very special guest, Utaka. Hello, everyone. Uh, (laughs) I'm Utaka. I am one of the co-hosts of the Horror Hour, and we also have a horror podcast where we just debate, disagree, and discuss. And uh, (laughs) we also uh, do a lot of drag horror stuff, too. Nice. And today we're talking all about killer Santa Clauses, which I didn't even know was like a subgenre in horror. So there was a lot. It's a huge (laughs) subgenre. Before we get to killer Santa, we have to talk a little bit about regular Santa, whose history is also kind of fucking wild. So Santa, St. Nicholas was a rich dude in Turkey, born around 280 BCE. Legend has it that he walked around the countryside handing out gifts. He died December 6th and spawned an annual celebration of life. Christianity very often would have like these holidays set up around like when pagan holidays used to be, because at first they tried to like punish and kill anyone who would celebrate, let's say Saturnalia. What? And then they realized it's uh, it's not working. (laughs) So instead of killing them, now Saturnalia is for Jesus. We've rebranded this holiday. So you can still (laughs) celebrate with all the traditions. Oh my God. And that's why like you go to Easter, right? We have all these fertility symbols. Like, what does a bunny rabbit have to do with Jesus? What do Easter eggs have to do? They're all fertility symbols. And Christmas is very similar. Like, we bring a dead tree in our house because Jesus is born. We put lights on the dead tree. All (laughs) super weird until you think about like, oh, this is from a completely different tradition. From then on, he becomes a legend in a bunch of different countries. And he's different in all of them. Um, David Sedaris has a great essay about it. It's hysterical. It's called Six to Eight Black Men. I know it's in his new book, The Best of Me, which is like his greatest hits book. In 1809, Washington Irving starts writing about Santa and uh, Dutch colonies in New York. And at that point, he was rumored to ride through town on a donkey. (laughs) And Washington Irving was the first person to give Santa flight. Um, So we're starting to recognize Santa as a character now. 1822, Clement Clark Moore wrote A Visit from Santa Claus or which you probably all know better as The Night Before Christmas, mm. um, which establishes a ton of standard traditions, which also, just interestingly, wasn't meant for public consumption. He wrote it for his kids, and some magazine got a hold of it because it was so good, and just now every year we hear it. I don't think he was happy about that. <laughs> what? Um, around that time, the first mentions of Christmas shopping as an advertised concept starts happening. So in the 1820s, Christmas shopping starts to be a thing. Mm -hmm. 1841, we don't have an image of Santa still. If you like look at the pictures, he's like in like weird pointy hats. He's not old, he's kind of gaunt rather than fat. Uh, He's just, he doesn't look like Santa. There's like some similarities. But in 1841, a store in Philadelphia attracts thousands with a Santa model, which then leads to people dressing up as Santa in stores. So mall Santa started in like the 1840s before we even had the famous image of the, the guy in red. 1881, Thomas Nast draws the first image of Santa that looks like what we think of um, as Santa Claus. After 1822, Santa becomes like completely capitalist. Everything about this um, after 1822 is just like, Santa is here to attract people into our malls and stores so kids can see him and buy toys. 1890s, the Salvation Army begins using Santa to collect money. They're very anti-LGBTQT, but they are 
the history of Santa Claus. Mm-mm. 1920s, Coca-Cola begins aggressively using Santa in their advertising. That's really where the Thomas Nast image gets cemented as the Santa Claus, because Coca-Cola has ads in every magazine with pictures of Santa Claus like that. It's interesting, though, because on Coke Australia's website, which has like a very detailed list of, of where I got a lot of this info, uh-huh. they deny that Coca-Cola is like the origin of Santa Claus. They're very, like, we did not make up Santa Claus. We didn't make Santa Claus popular, um, <laughs> which I don't know why that's their line. Like if, if I was an advertiser, right? Like I had invented something like the concept of Santa Claus or like really cemented it in the American psyche. I'd be bragging. I would not be like hiding it. Maybe it's like to not get sued. Cause like, I guess if you're not claiming that you made Santa, you can't get in trouble when Santa does some weird shit. Ooh, it could yeah. Be. yeah. So 1924, Santa in the red suit appears for the first time in the Macy's Day Parade. And at that point, like it's game, set, match for that image of Santa. And then we start getting all the movies, Miracle on 34th Street, then all these claymation movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gotten to the point where... Uh, An Italian bishop, like two weeks ago, had to apologize for telling children Santa didn't exist. Stop. It's it's hardcore. Um, And I think it's really interesting because Santa Claus, which is like literally St. Nicholas, a Catholic saint, has this like weird rivalry with Catholics and Christians. It just seems it's always, it's very strange what drama. To me. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah. 50 years into this aggressive advertising, merchandising, and filming, we get the first image that I could find of a murderous Santa. Which... I told you he'd be happy that we remembered him. Just in the Tales from the Crypt episode and all through the house. And then it gets into film in 1980. So in 1980, To All a Good Night and Christmas Evil both came out. Christmas Evil ends with an amazing image of a van flying through the sky after an explosion <laughs> designed to look like Santa Claus's sleigh, uh, which is hysterical. But then 1984, we had our first feature film, Silent Night, Deadly Night. And it was protested super hard. It's the sleaziest trash, but we'll, we'll come back to it. That's the same year we got Don't Open Till Christmas. And then 87, we got Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, which is a, a clip remix of Silent Night, Deadly Night. But the best part, uh, as Billy's brother Ricky goes on a killing spree, I don't know if you all have seen the video clip of the guy shooting someone at the yelling, garbage, garbage day! day! I have not. Oh, oh my God, it's, it's so wild. good. <laughs> it is. And then uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3, 1989. Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Games, is a, a French movie that sounds insane. I was on Shutter last year and I missed it. Um, but a Rambo-obsessed boy fights a psycho Santa Claus. 1996, oh, <laughs> we got Santa Claus, which was a killer Santa movie, L-A-U-S, and Santa Claus, L-A-W-S, also in 1996. Um, psycho Santa, 2003. Santa Slay, 2005. Sent, 2010. Hide and Seek, 2010, which is an Indian take on the killer Santa. Um, Rare Export, A Christmas Tale, 2010s, our second breakout film, has a kaiju Santa Claus in it, which I absolutely love. After that, it kind of just absolutely explodes. Silent Night, 2012, Christmas Cruelty, 2013, is Norwegian. Caesar and Otto's Deadly Xmas, also 2012. All Through the House, 2015. Christmas Slay, 2015. Cannibal Claus, 2016, which I haven't seen that one, but like, what a fucking name, Cannibal Claus. (laughs) Uh, Good Tidings 2016, a homeless veteran faces off against three Santa Clauses, Killer Christmas 17, 
Once Upon a Time at Christmas 2017, where Mrs. Claus is also a killer. Christmas Blood 2017, also Norwegian. Dead by Christmas 2018. This genre just like exploded in the last five years. And I do want to circle back at the end and talk about why we think that happened. And last one that I found, a Creepshow holiday special, special, Shapeshifters Anonymous, where Santa (laughs) Claus has a long rivalry with people who transform and they have a a big old battle. Well, There is one film, but it's not horror, but it's an action film and it's Fat Man. And that's where a kid is pissed off that he didn't get what he wanted. So his he hires a hitman to kill Santa, what? where that's Santa it. is actually a government agent as well. It's awesome. wild. It's so good. It's got some really, it's low budget. It has some great action sequences. Sadly, it has Mel Gibson, but oh. it is still actually just a crazy premise and a fun film. Our first breakout movie, one of my favorites, is absolutely the sleaziest trash. Silent Night, Deadly Night, 1984. Directed by Charles E. Sellier Jr., starring Robert Brian Wilson, who, interesting fact, he plays Billy. He was not an actor before the movie. I was watching an interview with him, and apparently he was eating dinner at a restaurant, and a producer came over from the movie and was like, hey, I was watching you eat, and you have just like the best mannerisms here's my card come for an audition uh, um, slightly yeah. creepy <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and like i don't know couch vibes over there <laughs> right <laughs> i feel like there's roles i would be flattered for if someone came over to me but to, to be the guy they picked to be like hey we think santa claus should be a murderer and you have the perfect mannerisms you just have the look of a murderous model. Can you please yeah. be a killer in my film? <laughs> um, he plays Billy, a boy who is traumatized by witnessing his parents murder by a man in a Santa suit. And he's raised uh, in an orphanage by a punishment-obsessed head nun and has outbursts whenever he sees Santa Claus. But he's essentially a good kid. He wants to be good until he gets a job at a toy store. And he's even, he's going to, it seems like he's really going to make it through Christmas. And then the guy who, who's supposed to be Santa Claus calls out and he's just the right size. So they put him in the suit. And uh, from there, things just get wild. So how'd you like the movie? It, uh, it's so not one of my that. favorites. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. Um, but I watched it twice to make sure I could remember it. It's fun, but it's just so disjointed and obviously bad acting and not even the good, like B style, bad acting. It's like, they are really trying and it's just flatlining, but yeah, it's a movie. (laughs) (laughs) I saw it again last night and it's an experience. I will say, I feel like I wanted it to get even more bonkers and be like, you know what? Like we have Linnea Quigley over here. Let's have another like lipstick boob scene. Like, let's just go. Let's make it so fucking weird. You know what I mean? Like, just, just push it. And it's like, it wasn't that gory or weird. I'm curious. Y'all saw it at home for the first time, right? Yeah. Okay. My first experience, I saw it as like a midnight show. And I don't know if maybe that's why I like it so much better than y'all. But like seeing it with like a crowd at midnight, there's like a ton of people laughing and everybody was drinking. Um, um, but it was like a crowded theater and everyone was laughing. And everyone was cheering. 
I don't that sometimes that will make me like a movie more. But I still liked it when I watched it at home. Oh, good, I, good for you. I'm happy you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, I should have been drinking. That might have yeah, been. Yeah, I think alcohol helps um with certain <laughs> kinds of movies. I think this is the kind of movie where you kind of kind of need a little something. I do think what surprised me most though, the first time I watched it is how much it worked with trauma. I think the more I talk about slashers, the more I think most of these films could be solved by a good therapist. Like if Pamela Voorhees loses her son, finds a trauma counselor, Always goes, back goes to, to therapy Every for time. years. Um, I think that like she gets healed. Michael Myers has a therapist who doesn't look him in the eye and say, he's got the dead eyes of a shark. He's a killer. <laughs> I think maybe we don't have Halloween. Maybe we have like uh, Michael becomes well-adjusted and gets a job somewhere. Cropsy in the burning. He gets like some decent care. He gets some mental health care after he gets burnt. He gets maybe some skin grafts. No more burning. No, no teenagers murdered. So you just want to take the movie out of all the movies. <laughs> I want people to go to therapy. They need therapy. You know what? Pro-therapy podcast. We love therapy. You know what? Jason Voorhees, wherever you are, get your ass in a therapist chair. But I will say, though, you know, I don't want Michael Myers to get therapy because get you. I always say get you a man like him. And I know that sounds weird, but he is dedicated. And that is a quality I appreciate. Dedicated and sturdy. He is built Mm -hmm. like a tank. Like, yep. Those are both good qualities. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can overlook some of the other things. Yeah. The trauma aspect of this film. It's like, okay, if you've been through any traumatic event, you're now destined to be a homicidal maniac at some point in your future. Sorry, you're fucked. Like, I'm always like, well, that's the only outcome. (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) What attracted me more was about all the sexual repression vibes. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. What I do like about the film is I feel like the nuns were portrayed, especially like the mother superior, it was almost as evil as sort of the killer that starts everything for Billy when he's a kid because of how the nun treats him and instills a really like fucked up version of morality in him. I would love to hear your thoughts about the nun. I liked the nun. I thought they were going to take it a, a very different route the first time I ever watched this to where, or which was a couple days ago. I thought they were kind of gonna go with like a a naughty type but no she was just this mean old hag in my opinion who Mm -hmm. just mm, on a power trip Mm -hmm. and yeah I I still liked her though because uh (laughs) I just like how she just thought nothing could touch her I was like that's like I like that confidence (laughs) it's misplaced but yeah (laughs) I did like that there was more than one nun and they had like Mm -hmm. they weren't like a monolith um, I know we were talking about the magic priests a couple of weeks ago. Mm. We talked about how like the the religious folk have to be characters too, not just like arbiters of God. Yeah. Um, I feel like this movie had a good mix. I think uh, another thing that separates this film from other slasher movies, there's not really a final girl and we're almost completely in the killer's point of view. How'd y'all feel about that? I don't mind when I see horror films and there isn't a final girl or anything like that. So that I didn't mind. In fact, that's kind of nice yeah. um, because we see it so much. And I still, I do love the idea of a killer Santa, even though I was a little mad he didn't kill the kid. But I know that sounds wrong, but I was like, what? That uh, You mi- missed opportunity. If you're going to go crazy ass like you're going, just, just go with it. 
Yeah, I thought that orphanage was fucked. I thought that he was going to kill. Either, I didn't think they would show it, but I thought he was going like, to blow up the orphanage or something. Oh. Like, the end. <laughs> oh, that would have been wild. Yeah, so fun fact, the, the final girl in this movie is the star of Grady Hendrix's The Final Girl Support Group, which is a novel that came out earlier this year. I, think I the, need to read that because that's going to be a show, I believe. Yeah, I think HBO, that, um, I think. Is yeah, movie? Charlize Theron's producing I saw that and I need to read that because that sounds like fun. Yeah, so the part of this movie I like probably the most is the last half hour to 45 minutes mm-hmm. when Billy actually goes on his spree. Those scenes are disjointed, as you said, Yutaka, but I think they're just so over the top, like the cops beating up the guy crawling into his daughter's <laughs> window. I find that hysterical. I thought the, the scene where he jumps out and kills the kid sledding was just the idea of like the axe swinging at a moving sled was crazy to me the the priest with the who couldn't hear getting shot to death um it's awful it's awful but also just just makes me giggle a little bit (laughs) oh i wanted to mention the film score because that was something that when i was watching it for the first time i was like why do i feel at the start like i'm in this like david lynchian soap opera like what the hell is happening and i looked it up and the the composer perry botkin jr actually did the score to the young and the restless for like ever oh Um, yeah so like he did that and he also was uh the i believe the composer for mork and mindy like an american sitcom in the 80s and did the arrangement for uh edgar wright's baby driver so i feel like the, the the music feels so like we're all getting together for the holidays and you're just getting like people killed in the background. And I feel like that helped the humor of the film so much. That was the one like disjointed part about it that I'm like, no, this actually works. I love it. Yeah. The other crazy thing about this movie, it inspired incredible protests. It got protested so hard that it had to leave theaters. I think that's probably why we're talking about it today. Like, I don't know if I'd have ever seen this movie if that hadn't happened. So the reason it got protests, according to the, the people talking about it on the, the DVD, um, it's because they had their ads airing Sundays during football games, like Sunday afternoons. People saw it, like kids saw it. How y'all feel about that? Should they have protested? And where, why aren't there movie protests now? It seems like if there's a movie protest, it's just like on Twitter. It's not like <laughs> people out on the street. That's, that's true. Um, I miss it. I wish more horror movies would get protests. I just feel like horror isn't the same as it used to be. It's not like- I told you, you're yeah. gonna get old man dad on us. Here we go. Oh, yeah, old man dad, yeah. <laughs> so I I think with, again, 1984, it's still that era where things, you see a lot of protests in general, but you didn't have it for Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw, because it still wasn't that um, iconic image that would appeal to kids. So the fact that it was Santa killing and they're advertising it during, I guess you could, well, that wouldn't be prime time, but you know, when kids can see it, you're going to get like those crazy ass group of mothers. Sorry, but they're going to, it's, that's to me what it, it, it was. And I think it's silly. I think it's funny. Um, And of course, back then they'd pull it from theaters, but now, oh hell, you'd market the hell out of that. Oh yeah. So our second film, Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, which was originally released as Rare Exports. And then after it got distributed in France and then into the U.S., they added a Christmas tale to the end of the title because I wanted to make sure people knew it's a Christmas movie. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This film came out in 2010. It was written and directed by 
Delmari Hillander, and it was also based off his 2003 short film of the same name. Uh, that is definitely available online, and I can link to it in our show notes. It's way different than the feature-length film. The short kind of feels like this Nat Geo ad that's only focused on the hunters. <laughs> so it's just like a day in the life of these hunters going after Father Christmases, the most expensive <laughs> game. And it's just that's all it is for seven minutes. It's, it's very wild. The feature film is about a wealthy tycoon who starts drilling in the mountains of northern Finland and a young boy named Patari and his friend Huso think that this drilling team has discovered the tomb of Santa Claus. And Patari, for whatever reason, is so terrified of Santa Claus. He has all these old ancient texts that we don't quite really know where he's gotten them from, but he's like convinced Santa Claus is really evil. And he's so scared that he's setting traps around his house and he's trying to tell his father about it, but not really. And then his father kind of figures out just how right his son is and hijinks ensue. So before we get into spoiler stuff, what did you all think about the film? I love this movie. <laughs> I think it's hysterical. My favorite detail at the very beginning is when the rich guy hands out those cards with rules for how to oh, yeah. kind of survive Santa <laughs> no Claus. Drinking, like, no, no swearing, no drinking, no smoking. <laughs> I think that's hysterical. But I think it also draws like a very important connection for one of the reasons I think we have all of these slasher Santa films. Um, they're the same rules as surviving Camp Crystal Lake. <laughs> like the things you're supposed to do for Santa Claus are the same things you do to survive a slasher movie before Scream with like the strict morality rules. Ooh, that's true. I like that. What did you think you talk of your exports? Were you a fan? Absolutely. <laughs> I was, I'm so happy that you guys uh, introduced me to this film because I never probably would have seen it. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? This is so messed up. And for once also, I have to say, I didn't hate the kid actor uh, yeah. because did a really great job, but it was such a great tale. I actually also really enjoyed the father-son relationship. Yeah. yeah, It wasn't the greatest at the beginning and then became so much better at the end, but I just love seeing that progression with this backdrop of, you know, killer Santas. Yeah, I think the father and the son had great chemistry, but I think part of that, their actual father and son in real life, the, oh, the actors. I did not know that. Oh. So a fun tidbit about the movie that I have, I was reading an interview with the director and the elves in the film were actually uh, volunteers from this local old men choir that just really wanted to be in the film. And apparently the thing that the director would talk about in interviews was when they were not shooting their naked, like elf father Christmas scenes, they yeah. would just go and have coffee naked and play cards in this heated room while everyone else was filming. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like couldn't okay. get, I, it's like gold behind yeah. the scenes information that I didn't know I needed. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, I think we're going to enter spoiler territory now. Yeah, let's do it. So my biggest question was, we, as much as we know, there's this like kaiju level Santa. We never really actually see it emerge. How did you all feel about that choice? I was disappointed. Yeah. I wanted to see it. Yeah, uh, I agree that I wanted to see it. I felt like that was probably a budget decision. It mm. seemed to me that this mm. movie was made for uh, not very much. And I think for... Especially like if you look at the credits, Jelmari is everywhere in the credits. He did the production design. He did a lot of stuff. I okay. Think just, just knowing that, I think that's why we don't get to see the Kaiju Santa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We just have to imagine the killer Santa because you don't actually get to see it. I did read in the same interview that I'll link to in the show notes with the director 
that he had plans for a possible sequel in the future that's just with the monster and it's supposed to be if it does ever come to light it would just what he described as like like a cataclysmic horror movie so it'd have to be a like a world-changing event so i think there literally would be a kaiju stomping santa and i want that so wherever you are somebody fund that (laughs) so there's hope i guess to maybe one day see the killer santa on the big screen how did you feel about how i i don't know what this is about me but i felt like it was very family friendly in my sense of the words i don't know if everyone would agree with that but how did you feel about the tone of it? I thought it, it kind of got, I got Goonies vibes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I did. I thought this was, I could easily see this being a family, like family affair, except for all the the naked elves. The, that part was just so, I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Sure. But other than that, yes, this could easily be something that would be, you could sit down with your family and watch. It was just fun. I, I I wouldn't classify it as gory in the sense or any of that, really. So yeah, what's crazy to me is how dark the plot is, but how mm-hmm. much how light it feels. Like the dad set up that wolf trap, right? A, a oh, yeah. human falls into. He thinks he killed someone, <laughs> and he calls his friend, and he's like, "Hey, can you come over? I got to show you something." I'm like, all right, we'll chop up the body in your butcher's <laughs> tent that you have for reindeer. And it's just like, that was the plot of this like really light feeling movie. For the, from the dad's perspective, it is like one of the darkest movies I've ever seen. That <laughs> killed someone by accident. Gonna call my friend and chop up the body. I don't know how they accomplished that. I'm actually very impressed. I mean, I think it helped that he was also like a single dad making gingerbread cookies. We're like, well, how bad can he be? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the actor who played the dad also played everything completely straight. Mm-hmm. Like there was no wink at all in his performance. And the kid, I think there was some, but in him, there's nothing. He's absolutely dead. I don't fault him for that. <laughs> According to Yutaka's taste, like it's, it's a very great Michael Myers move, you know, conviction, follow through. <laughs> Dedication. <laughs> Dedication. <laughs> Gonna kill a man, get, get rid of the body. You can't just stop halfway. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, technically they should have been watching where they were going. It's their property line. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You got to get rid of the body. And if they're already dead, who cares if you're chopping them up? And besides, he got his friend to do it. That's true. That's Spread the culpability. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick move, though. He's just like, hey, buddy, come over here. I got to show you something. He's like, now you're an accomplice. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be, I would be so mad if a friend did that to me. Just like, hey, 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 come here, come here. And like, you come over and you're like, well, here's a dead body. And now you have to help me deal with this shit. It's like, fuck. Yeah. Well, let's just tackle the elephant in the room. So many penises. Ton of dick. Ton of dick. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> one thing I was thinking of, whenever there was like naked men running on screen, I was just like, I wonder... I now know that they, it wasn't really a casting decision. It just happened that this like old men choir volunteered. But I was wondering when I was watching it, do they measure penis size for these moments? Because if they were like really big penises flopping all around, it would be like almost too funny and distracting. <laughs> but they're like a lot of the time, I'm like, well, you can't really see them all that much. So like maybe that's helping with the ratings. Like <laughs> uh, that's where my brain went. So I don't know how y'all feel about that. For me, I'm like, there's a time and a place. This just wasn't it. <laughs> but it wasn't sexual in nature. That's why I guess maybe yeah. ratings wise, it wouldn't have been bad. Yeah. Um, but it was just <laughs> when that moment happened, I had to stop and think, where's this going to go now? Because this is messed up. Was not expecting that. Yeah, I do think that the two movies we picked had like the opposite nudity. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like Silent Night, Deadly Night was just there was titties on screen for like 30 minutes. Yeah. And this movie was just like, here's those floppy dicks. <laughs> I think uh, we got like the exact on our podcast. Everyone's yes. naked. <laughs> uh, I do think like there should be way more male nudity in film. Like I feel like it's always women taking their shirts off in movies and very freak infrequently do you see any penis in any film. Yeah, there's also like a lot of feelings about showing women's pubes on screen. Like that's always gets like such a shock value where it's like, you're not even showing, you're showing just like hair. How is that like, (gasps) Raw came out and they actually showed like the the pubic hair during a Brazilian wax scene. Everyone was like, oh my God. And it's like, it's just hair. (laughs) It's not even a vagina. And people well, can't handle it. <laughs> and half the time it's a Merkin. So yeah. <laughs> Am I right that there's no women in the entirety of rare exports? <gasps> oh. Am I right about that? I think Wait. you are. Yeah, it's it's almost like the thing vibe, where it's just all men. Like even at the end yeah. of the movie, there's that moment where like the son basically saves a day for his dad. And his dad's just like, you're a good man. And he's just like, so are you, dad? <laughs> I feel like that was an intentional choice. If it's just about the world of men in this like secluded yeah. wilderness and what masculinity means, I guess. Interesting. I Does that bother any of you that there weren't any women in the film? I don't think I noticed until I thought about it at the end. And then it bothered me just a little bit. I still liked the movie. I just feel like that is a flaw. I would say, so I didn't realize that until you pointed that out, but... I would think that if, I think if there was a female presence that would have then maybe had, I could easily see then there being that um, argument of what they're going to do. And I I don't feel like that was the Mm -hmm. focus in terms of, uh, because all these guys, I feel like they were all had this, it was like group think in a sense. Yeah, it's like a pack. Yeah. And so I feel like if you introduce that element, that may have changed that. And I don't know if the film then would have worked. Because also I think part of the the dad's say sad life in a sense was because he was a widower. I, I think that really helped it. Like maybe if there were a flashback that could have been nice to see what maybe the dad would, you know, I just don't feel like the dad was always like this. Yeah. So I think if we added that presence, maybe it would have changed some of that. But I'm not mad because I feel like it still worked with the film. Yeah. But I could see issues with that. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because like now that I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, so this isn't what the film sets up, but you can even imagine like either all these men have had their wife, divorce them or leave them or die. And it's just this like commune of just hunters with their sons, <laughs> um, which yeah. is like when you think of it that you're like, that's actually that's pretty unrealistic. But then think about like the town, like we only really know like technically two families and then just other guys that work with these two men. So we don't really see more so we can imagine more. So I guess yeah. in the context of the film, it makes sense. I think it would have been interesting to have, I mean, obviously I would have loved to have non-binary representation and like women that were also like hunters, but that not be a thing. Like just be like, they're also in the mix, just also workers and just all are in the pack following what the pack does. And I feel like the film still could have done that, but I get the sense that the film wanted it to be a father-son tale. And I'm okay with that because I think there yeah. needs to be more like positive, nurturing father-son tales in the world. So in that light, it doesn't bother me. Another question I had for y'all, was the ending kind of fucked up? <laughs> this is just like human trafficking at the end. <laughs> is it not? Like, I still like the movie, <laughs> but at the very end, it's just like, now Santa Claus is going to be sent to all of these different countries. I think they had one for each country. <laughs> I don't know if the number is exactly lined up, but it's pretty close to one per country. Although I'm sure like America is going to take like 70 of them that they don't need. 
Texas has 16 of these Santa Clauses I, locked away. Uh, <laughs> I actually, oh, I, yes, that was fucked up. But also the dad, this is, I, I'm so, such a terrible person at times because I'm like, man, that's smart. Capitalize on that. Yeah. I mean, they got their money back. Yeah. Um, but I also felt like that was a great setup for a sequel because now we've got these Santas in just running around in these other countries. Yeah. Because yeah. who's to say you really rehabilitated them? Just oh, say. Yeah, yeah they're feral. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Utaka, that would be an amazing. Maybe I don't even need to. Okay, I do want to see the Kaiju Santa. I want to see both, but just like as his own film, just all of a sudden feral Santas and all these like apartment store, like stores, whatever. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, just like Macy Santas are killing people, and it's just like almost like a zombie wave of killer Santas. Oh, I would love that. Oh. <laughs> Everybody wants their cinematic universe. <laughs> the big studios are listening. This is your universe. This is your universe. <laughs> Give us a call, just... Shutter. We'll <laughs> write that script you can right now. <laughs> just think, you, but you have all these other different countries, so you could have, di- like, I would love to see then just how other cultures react or just how it oh, yeah. Um, oh, integrates yeah. with those cultures. And so I think that would be really fun. Mm, now my brain's just churning. I'm like, they need to make a sequel. I, I will say both movies did something that I feel like you very rarely see in horror, which is funny because there is this um, one of the remakes did do this. None of the kids died, I don't believe. Yeah, they were yeah. they were kidnapped in rare exports. Yeah. And then in Silent Night, Deadly Night, well, the one got a nasty razor blade and then the, <laughs> the orphans were fine. But in the remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night, which was Silent Night in 2012. Yeah, the Santa actually legit, because the girl was a little bitch. I'm just throwing it out there. Actually tasered her to death. Was it like the same oh. girl? Was it like a new character? Or was it like, I've never seen the remake, to be honest. Was it like supposed to be that razor blade girl in the remake ends up dying or is it just a random? So the remake's like very loosely based in terms of we don't have like the the sexual repression and all that. It's just a guy who is tormented. He comes back to this town to wreak havoc. He's in a Santa costume and he knocks on this um, door of a family and the kid is just horrendous. She's so awful. She's so rude. And, but he has the same mentality. If you're good, he's going to leave you be. He'll actually give you a present. But with her, he actually, oh, it wasn't too. He took out a cattle prod and Ah. Oh yeah, it, this film is gory, and I loved it. But um, yeah, he spared no expense, and um, that's just something I when I saw these films, I'm like, I know it sounds terrible, but I always like when because still to this day I feel like that's kind of like oh, that's it's taboo. taboo. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah. when a film does that, I'm like, ooh, I love those. Like, not saying go out there and kill kids, but I'm just saying sometimes it, <laughs> that we don't it adds. Killing children. <laughs> yeah, I just I think in a movie. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think like when I saw Under the Skin for the first time, I don't know if either of you saw it, but there's yeah. a there's a ba- there's a baby scene that still haunts me. I was just like, oh, no, yeah. I was like, they're not gonna. They're not gonna. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so no, I think it's right. There's still something in our brain where like, we don't like killing babies. We don't like killing kids. We don't like killing dogs. That's like the horror rules. You can't do that. But then if you do do that, it's, it is actually kind of interesting, even though it's a bit fucked up. 
it's a shock. It's a shock. Yeah. yeah, it's still not done enough. So it does shock us when it happens. And as we started talking about, like Christmas is so much centered around like children mm-hmm. that you would think that it would happen more than it does in this genre. Yeah, absolutely. Who knows? <laughs> just saying there's just so much you can do with a killer Santa. And I think that sometimes they just I, I just think there's a missed opportunity. It could be done tastefully in a sense, but well, I don't know how I'd still like to see it. I think it would be funny. There we go. Yeah. Like, make it in a comical way. Yeah. And I do think these movies, not all horror movies, I think specifically killer Santa movies are designed to shock you. And the shock is that Santa Claus is evil now. Uh, but, I, but I think we've seen it too many times. So I get like exactly where you're coming from. Like, if you're going to take me to this place, I've been a lot of times like the Santa Claus being a murderer doesn't do it anymore. It's got to go further or be a well-made movie. But Halloween the- three killed kids with the masks. Oh yeah. That, was, that was actually good. That was good. Yeah. That was a good movie. In terms of rare exports though, do you feel like they were asking for the right amount of money at the end when they just had, they, they just kept saying, we want this. I go, you're sitting on a gold mine, y'all. I feel like they, it probably should be more expensive because they're a finite product, right? Like there's only this many yeah. in the entire world. It feels like they just settled on the $85,000 because that's what cost them when all the reindeers were killed by these like Father Christmases slash yeah. But it could easily be like a million ahead. Like one of his friends too. What is it? One of his friends too is like, no, a million, <laughs> a million per hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they should, uh, they should be selling like, annual licensing rights oh they shouldn't like be that. doing a set fixed price you have a product like that you gotta get your annual returns mm, that's smart okay father take them back 11 months a year they stay with you till around thanksgiving then you send them around the world then you take them back but that <laughs> rental fee same as the price you charge us to sell them sponsored by coca-cola <laughs> <laughs> this is why i drink diet pepsi so <laughs> The other thing I think about all of the, the Santa Claus movies, I think they're all a commentary on consumerism, whether they want to be or not. And I think us mm-hmm. talking about how much it should cost just kind of <laughs> just drives it, home. it in. Because <laughs> um, I think Santa Claus is probably the biggest capitalist figure. It's like him or Ronald McDonald. Mm-hmm. I don't know who else would be in the conversation even in terms of people who are just exist to sell us stuff. I think the only one that would come next would be, I guess, Easter. Since so many, I mean, you get gifts, but not like to the level. Yeah, no, I would think, yeah. Yeah, I think like, I would argue like a very good thing to make that guy a little scary. Consumerism is literally destroying our planet. Do you think the humor hurts that message though? Because we make him really funny, but do you think we need like a more serious, like a, not Freddy Krueger, because he's not serious, but like a serious (laughs) killer Santa, like no joke. I don't think so. Comedy and horror, I think are both mirrors held up so we can see what we really look like and either the fear or the humor is what lets us see it. I think if you made a movie about how Santa Claus was destroying the earth through consumerism, it would be like a very boring five hour long documentary (laughs) and it would win like a lot of awards and no (laughs) one would watch it and nothing would change. But if you made a comedy like these, Uh. people will watch it, nothing will change. (laughs) <laughs> um, but we'll get a good laugh about it because people talk about Christmas like especially like um, my mom's generation and it's like this wonderful thing for them but then you go to the mall like I had to go out, get up this morning to get my brother-in-law a present I went to my local bookstore and it was like elbow to elbow pack a lot of people arguing about masks I live in central Texas so the, the store requires masks people like kind of wear them in 
And you got like people like the masks around their chin, above their nose, under their nose. Oh, you get this stuff and it's like, all those people are potentially killing you if they have this new Omicron variant. Well, I work on the tech side in healthcare, but I am huge when it comes to wearing your mask, getting vaccinated and all that. And so I get so annoyed when I go to um, stores. I live in Missouri. So I see those people do the same thing. And when I hear them arguing about wearing a mask, go, really? It's literally a piece of fabric. It's not taking away your rights. Shut the hell up. If you want to get in the store, put on the goddamn mask. That's yeah. It just, and, but yes, this time, especially now, because we're going into what our third year in a sense, like, and Christmas just, oh my gosh, I, I have to go to the store later now and I'm not looking forward to it. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, When people talk about Christmas, that's not what they're thinking of, but that is part of it. There's this whole dark side and like, and you see all those memes about like therapists and like social workers saying like, if you're rich and you bought your kid an iPad, don't tell them the iPad is from Santa Claus, but the parents still do. So if you're like, and the poor kids come, they're like, why didn't I get an iPad? Was I not good? Why do you think we keep making movies about Kill of Santas? I don't know if I have an answer, but I feel like circling around what, what you and you talk were talking about, it's like kind of in there. The idea of like, it's kind of cathartic to get out all of this like angst and like stress and frustration around the holidays into a figure. <laughs> uh, so that's my, I think the closest I've come to an answer. What about you two? I would have to say, I think it's still slightly taboo because it's Santa, but I think, I think they're fun. I think they're enjoyable. And I think if you get the right story, or the right actor, it could be something really great. I don't know if you remember that one of the American horror story episodes where they had Ian McShane, playing a killer Santa. And mm-hmm. there was a line after he killed all these people. He was like, just think, I sent all these people to heaven. <laughs> ah. I lost it. I was oh, like, that's, that's, that's great. That's I love that. <laughs> we haven't been beaten over the head with um, these horror films or this genre. So I think that's why I'm still enjoying it. Now, maybe cut to 10 years from now and we, we see so many and I'd probably, Ugh. but right now it's still, it's fun, it's fresh. And I still think there's opportunity to make a really good one. Yeah. What do you think, Ryan? I think that the the rampant consumerism around Christmas deserves it. Like you hear people getting trampled to death on Black Friday. Why is that not taboo? But a movie with Santa Claus stabbing people is taboo. Mm-hmm. I think that Santa Claus is very much a slasher who just doesn't kill people normally. He sees you when you're sleeping. I think that he is a slasher. He's always watching you and he's always judging you on the same standards which a slasher will stab you for. I think it's easy to make on a low budget and there's Santa suits everywhere. Mm. That's that's true. I just love when movies attack something that's sacred for no good reason. Santa Claus (laughs) is kind of sacred, but like if you look at the history of Santa Claus, it's like Coca-Cola put these ads in newspapers and then people started making movies about it. And like Macy's had the parade, like, this was all just to bring corporations money and now it's sacred. Like no way. Even yeah. though I love Santa Claus, I just think like it's a fun fictional character. And when he kills people, it's kind of funny. I'm into that. It's true. Yeah. I, I mean, I giggle <laughs> really Cass. I think you need just look up the garbage day clip. You can just put in garbage oh, day yeah. and you will I see can't that. Wait. Clip. That's the it first is, thing I'm going to be doing after this. I'm it's gonna the best thing ever. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. We will definitely link in the show notes so you can share this joy during this holiday season with me. (laughs) Yes. Why do you think there's so many Santa movies? I think I'm still saying to my answer before. I feel like there's like something cathartic 
about having something murderous around the holidays because of how people often feel and the stress they put on themselves. Probably also the morality aspect of it uh, in terms of like how the Santa killer worked, that it makes it very easy for audiences just to follow along. Like we already know the myth of like being nice and not naughty. Like we understand like the rules implicitly. So it's kind of easier, I think, to get a buy-in in a slasher where we're not going to ask that many questions. We're going to bring a bunch of our information to the table as opposed to like creating a new slasher monster or having to make, to make a big set piece around this thing that's going to be scary. Instead, we just take something that we already know and then wrap a story around it. That's all I got. <laughs> well, this has been a bloody blast. Yutaka, do you have anything you want to promote? Yes. We are very haphazard with our release schedule because we're still new and we're learning. But we have a podcast, The Horror Hour. We do reviews, rankings. We're working on deep dives. Our main thing, which we've been lucky for, is just interviews. We just love to talk with the talent or the creative team to get a better understanding. Coming up for our second season that we're doing, we'll be doing deep dives with drag performers. It's going to be a drag horror. And our first one is going to be with Formaldehyde. (gasps) Who will be doing a brand new Cinnabite look because we are doing a deep dive into Hellraiser. I fucking love Penhead. I'm so jazzed. They're creating a special look just for this. And we've got more performers planned for that. We love it. And I'm just happy to get to also collaborate with so many other folks and yeah. see all these other podcasts. Uh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Great. It's great we meeting had you and so seeing much you. fun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to our horror hangover holiday special episode covering all things related to killer Santas. Follow us on Twitter at horror hangover underscore and come check out our next episode dropping in January all about cursed objects. Until then, happy holidays and may all have a creepy good night.